is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork, joined today by my good friend, Benjamin Hansen. You always pitch me that way. Thank you. Yeah. For the next hour, you and I are best buds. <laughs> and then back to not making eye contact yeah, with each other. Dimension of insincerity. We should talk about how tough it is to not talk about Twilight Zone when we're not recording this dumb podcast. Let's talk about that. Because every morning, on the yeah. morning of the podcast, I come in and I say, you watched all the episodes, right? Yeah. And then you say yes. And then I always say, okay, I just want to say one thing and you always cut me off because I want to... This is like the this is the only time we talk about the show. Yeah, because honestly. every other time we start to talk about it, it's like, well, I can talk about stuff I want to talk about on the show, and that's fine. And then we make three great jokes, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> we can't reuse those jokes. You can't reuse jokes. It's the rule. Yeah, it's the honor system we yep, have. Exactly. So this episode, we're going to be talking about episodes ten through twelve of season four, and because I like to agonize over it, these episodes are all an hour long. Which is painfully are, obvious in are this they block. An hour? It feels like twenty minutes tops. Really? No. Well, I think these feel maybe shorter because it feels like two half-hour episodes smashed together. Maybe half-hour episodes you've seen before smashed together. Yeah, no time like the past. The first one we're talking <gasps> about in particular is a lot like that. Let's talk about that episode. Okay. All right. In this episode, we've got a time traveler. Starts out strong. Starts out real strong. This is the craziest time machine I think I've ever seen. It's. So it starts out, yeah, in this futuristic setting, but I don't think it's supposed to be a sci-fi setting. Like, they make it clear it's still the 20th century. Right. Uh, so it could be, like, their version of the 90s or something, but it is, it's, like, basically the set from The Obsolete Man. Exactly. It's a giant empty room, but it's a big, huge, like, cylinder, and on the top of that, there's, like, a ladder you can go up. On top of that, all kinds of knobs and dials and things, and then there's these two wires... Christmas lights. Christmas light things. They look they like kind of, currents. They, little... They're like descend down to the floor in kind of a V shape. And where they meet is a spotlight. Okay. And we meet our friend Paul Driscoll. And Paul Driscoll has had it. With this with, 20th with century. With humanity. He says yeah. nuts to this business in so <laughs> many words. And his good friend is like saying, you know what? Are you sure you want to go through with this? As though they've never had this conversation before. That's what I like about this episode. Is it starts out and it feels like the middle of another episode. You think so? Because they're just like in the middle of this debate about you know whether or not the 20th century is worth saving. Yeah, it really throws you in, and I appreciated that. Interesting. Well, I feel the exact opposite way. <laughs> Please share. Because it may feel like you it, they're throwing you in the middle of it, but then Paul totally sets the stage with this conversation that you think at some point they would have had before. Because Paul's like, let me level with you. Like not Here's what I think about humanity. And he right. may as well just say, humanity is a bunch of poop. Because he's talking about sewage and cesspools uh-huh. and, and all that kind of stuff. So the idea is he's going to fix the 20th century. He's going to repair it. That's where this starts, right? He's going to go back in time to fix some problems. <laughs> all right. Number one. Where number does it go? Number one. Well, obviously, if you're going to go back in time to fix some problems, he goes to Japan, to Hiroshima, right before the bomb explodes, right? Like half an hour before His timing is not great because it, it starts off... the policeman comes in or like a big head honcho maybe the police chief uh-huh. we'll say he's like all right you know you were arrested tell me what's going on and paul is like okay here's the deal i'm the voice of history i'm the voice of history you gotta listen to me um this place is gonna be blown apart in about 
half an hour or so, like almost immediately. Like, again, his timing is a little too close for my my well, taste. And he's like, best case scenario, you can get thousands of people out of the city if yeah. you really listen to women and like, children. Just, you have a time machine. Go back further. Better yeah. yet, go back earlier and stop them from bombing Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say they started it, but I'm just saying yeah. you can go back so much further and fix this. Well, fortunately, he goes back some other times too. We'll oh, get there. Boy. Okay. And the guy's like, you know what? I really don't believe you. I'm gonna have, uh, I'm gonna send you to the to the military commanders. You could talk to them. And he says, you know what? The commander or the Japanese guy says, now let this serve as a lesson that the enemy has mercy on you. And Paul, thinking on his feet, says, and maybe if you survive this, you'll look back and think the enemy had mercy on you too. And then <laughs> so they walk away. Go. Suddenly a flash of light. Oh, the guy looks at a picture of his wife and child. Flash of light. All kinds of smoke and crap flows through the window and then big yeah. bomb sounds and you see the frame and then it's shattered. Yeah, yeah. So you hear the plane arriving. Right. Enola Gay. And then like the light goes off. Mm-hmm. The light should have gone off quite a bit earlier than the sound blast hit technically. Yeah. But technically. that's fine. Uh, it's Twilight Zone and then it's just like a normal bomb destroying the house. Oh, that's because they said, you know, this is a bomb unlike any bomb you've seen before. This is a, right. And they're like, oh. We just got a phone. They get a phone call, and it's like, oh, it's just one bomber. I think we can handle one bomber. One B-29, it's not going to be an issue. Exactly. But, I mean, you'd like to be angry with the Japanese commander for not listening mm-hmm. to this guy since he's theoretically the protagonist of this episode, right. but, like, I'm truly with him. Like, I don't know what this guy expected no. to just have just a random American walk into the Japanese headquarters and be like, you need to evacuate the city. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way this plan would ever work. He, this yeah. guy is just an idiot. Throughout this entire episode, he's an idiot. Right. I think that this also shows that that joke where the one person says something to the effect of, you know, hey, you know, talks about how they're how they speak another person's language. And then they reply by, haha, your blah, blah, blah is better than my blah, blah, blah. Sure. You know, that's in this episode. So it's nice to know that, you know, that wasn't something that just happened in recent decades. It's been around since the 60s. There we go. Time travel. So. Suddenly, then after that, we're in Berlin, 1939. I have I have no idea how Paul is pulling this off. Does There's a lot just... of questions about his time travel methods. Yeah. Okay. Berlin, 1939. You hear sounds of Hitler outside the window, and you see newsreel footage of Hitler. First archival footage that I can think of in the Twilight Zone that they've used. They didn't well, that get... dinosaur footage. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't get a hokey actor this time around. They actually used real rally footage of Hitler. Yeah. You think they could have gotten one of their seamless stunt doubles to stand there and wave at a crowd, but no. They'd be better off getting the claymation dinosaur and just putting a little mustache on it <laughs> than going back to one of their fake actors. Yeah. So anyway, Paul is just like, okay, here's the... He goes, unlock, looks out the window, sees it's Hitler, gets his gun already. It's like a... So there's the thing. Okay. Can he travel back in time with his gun? I was wondering the same thing because he's got different outfits too. You notice? Yeah, I thought, I'm going to see his preparation for the time travel because it's like he has everything he needs. They have an hour to work with too. They could have shown us. But some it's of just this. like whenever he travels back, he's just a close up of his face, and then like yep. there's like a watery effect over the screen, yep. and then he's like, "Well, here I am, and I have everything I need." Exactly. At any rate, he's looking down the scope, and then ding, 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 knock on the door. That's a ding, ding, ding. Is <laughs> the sound of a knock on the door, apparently, in Germany, 1939, before they fixed that. Ding is German for knock. Ding, exactly. <laughs> so he's all flustered. He's like, ah, oh, come on. And it's, it's housekeeping, got some fresh new towels. So he runs over and puts his gun away, answers the door. It's a lady. She's like, well, what do you think? 
uh, you know, all the, the, these floors are booked. Everyone wants to get a, a look at the, the Fuhrer. Boy, and, I'm so happy for this new Germany. Isn't it great? Yeah. And then she notices his, his accent. Where are you from? From America. Well, what do you think of this? I don't have an opinion. He's oh, like, well, America is impartial. Neutral. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then she's, she's not into that answer and he kind of, <laughs> he rushes her out. So he again goes back to the gun, looks, you see like the crosshairs. Really taking his time. It's cool he put the crosshairs effect over the archival footage. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Exactly. Technology. Pulls the trigger and it's like a a dud. And the bullet not don't a dud. work. It's like he didn't put a bullet in the chamber. He did. He Me- did? Yeah. I remember he did and it's like, ah, and then he ejects it and then he puts another one in there oh, and he's I getting ready t- and then at the door... You know, hey, open the door. It's it's the German police. Ding, ding, two German police here. <laughs> so, yeah, they break down the door, and then he's gone. Then they can't the it But then they find the gun. They're like, oh, my God. They realize, like, how close oh. it came. So, at this point, uh, I think this guy's a complete idiot, first of all, for blowing that and really taking far too long. He should have just been landed back in 1939, got the rifle, just bam, 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 go for it, get out. Boy, I could kill Hitler so well. Why didn't? Why did he answer the door? He's like, oh, I don't want to be suspicious because I'm going to be vanishing in a puff of watery smoke in a second. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at this at this point in the episode, I mean, this is moving at a good clip. Yeah. It's like if this was the entire episode, just him jumping back through yeah. all these disasters, this is going to be awesome because nothing's more fun. Well, a few things are more fun <laughs> than going watching a guy go back in time and try and kill Hitler. That, that's good entertainment. And well, if you think that's great, wait till yeah. you see where he goes next. Uh, the, okay. So he's on a little boat and he's talking to the captain and he's saying, look, you need to move the, change the course. Okay. Just if you, if you adjust it like five minutes, we're going to be fine. Otherwise, we'll save thousands of lives. This thing's going to get sunk by a torpedo. Did you know what this was right away? Yes. Okay. You're yeah. much smarter than I am. Cause at first it's like, oh, he's in an old timey boat. Titanic. Yeah. Clearly it's in the Titanic. But then he's talking about the torpedo. I'm like, is he just lying to them? So That's what they scared? called icebergs back then. Well, I know if he was like lying to them because like they'd be more apt to change course. And it's like, oh. I, I really overthought this. Yeah. So the guy is like, well, you know what? I looked it up and you aren't on our records. How'd you get on this ship? And Paul doesn't have a good answer. And he uh, calls the guards and the guards on the boat haul him off. And he's like, you got to do it. And then the guard kind of looks like he has second guess about it. And then the guard, they go down the stairs, and then you see the it's the Lusitania. And then, then you see the torpedo. Paul has a really good look at it as it's <laughs> getting toward the boat. And there's a plaque that says it, and then it blows up. Then we cut back to the Hang time on, isn't machine. It, isn't it Lusitania? What's that? Lu- Louisiana. No, I don't know. Isn't it Lu- I think it's Lusitania, isn't it? Lusitania. I, I don't have it handy here, and I'm an ignoramus with these kinds of time travel it's things. Right. It's all right. So he blows that too. He blows it just like I blew the pronunciation of that seafaring vessel. So this is where it's weird because after three attempts where he's done a pretty poor job or not really planned mm-hmm. ahead much mm-hmm. as far as a strategy for how he's going to change these things, he gets back to present day, talks with his buddy and says like, well, looks like you can't change the past. Because it's immutable. Yeah. It, you can't change it. It's impossible. It's not that I'm an idiot. Trust me. It's Trust me. It's not that it I'm an idiot. It cannot be done. It, it is absolutely impossible to fire a shot at Hitler. So Paul is like, well, check this out. And he gives it like this book. And he's like, flip to page 90 something. And he flips it open. And it's like this old timey, like a, it's like a woodcut of an old timey town with like those penny farthing bikes and 
Ugh, it looks dreadful. It's old. <laughs> it looks like if you picture an old timey town from like the 1880s. That's it. So he's like, I'm gonna go here to Homeville, Indiana. Beautiful. Beautiful. God's it's country. 1881. I'm gonna go there. And suddenly, his friend totally changes course and is like, Well, you you can't do that because you could cause a chain reaction that just changes everything. So it's like, what's it gonna be? Is the past this thing that can't be affected at all or that, is it like the slightest deviation from what happened like that lady who who called the guards in the hotel now is her life completely different exactly this is my biggest problem with the episodes it's split right down the middle and it very much feels like two episodes that uh you know sterling really oh, shoved together absolutely uh, and yeah it is the entire message of the first half is you literally cannot change the past mm-hmm. and then the entire message of the second half is you can, but you totally shouldn't change the past because right. you don't know what it'll and do. And that message is delivered by the same person, like <laughs> back-to-back sentences, which made it very confusing. Yeah, it's weird. So this is basically Back to the Future 3. He just yeah. wants to go live in the past because the Wild West was yep. cool. So Paul steps on the time portal, gives the double F-U birds to his friend who turns <laughs> the knob, and he finds himself in lovely Homeville, Indiana. First thing he does, he goes to the saloon, Gets a beer. It only costs a nickel. And he's so confused by that. This genius physicist cannot comprehend the idea that beer only costs a nickel. Yeah, but he did bring earth money from that era, which was pretty good. Yeah, I was expecting a moment where like they looked at the coin and was like, oh, what is this futuristic nonsense? Yeah. But no, nope, nope, none of that. That didn't happen. <laughs> so he's excited. And he's like, ah. And the guy says, you know, are you, you from around here? No. Just pass, you pass him through. I'm thinking about settling here. And he's kind of excited. He walks by and sees a newspaper on the counter and he or on the table, and he picks it up, and it's like, President Garfield to visit. And he's like, oh, you can't get away from it. It's like, oh, yeah, who can forget that date in history, President <laughs> Garfield's assassination. He goes, it begins. It, exactly. He sees what did he think? Like, history was just going to stop? Like, it wasn't going to happen? Like, and it, I don't know what he's I, expecting. I don't even know, was it that Garfield was stopping in the town? I still got the impression it was kind of far away. So it's like, he couldn't have changed it, even if he wanted to, unless he pulls one of his bonehead moves and goes all the way to where Garfield's going to get shot and says, hey, seriously, guys, listen to me. I hate Mondays, too. (laughs) It's terrible. Most people don't even know, maybe it's different in the 60s, but I would argue today most people wouldn't know that there was a president named Garfield. I bet if you told them that, would laugh. Yeah, a majority of people would not know that, let alone that he was assassinated. That is so far out of the realm of common Mm -hmm. knowledge, and maybe I've surrounded myself by idiots. That could be. I feel like I barely know that. I feel like I keep a pretty good close eye on history. <laughs> close eye on history. Okay. <laughs> so he's he says, you know, he lives, he's shacking up in a boarding house. So he we, he goes there and this, if, if you picture in your mind what, what the lady who runs a boarding house looks like, that's what that actress is. Just kind of frumpy, school marmy type lady. And she comes and she shows all the rules, you know, no cigars, no women, except in the parlor. Uh no cursing. You got to pay your rent on time. Some very important rules. And then introduces him to a lovely lady who actually, did you recognize her? No, but she was cute. She was William Shatner's wife in Nick of Time. Oh, God, you're good. Did you just check out the actors? Is that your new thing? I, I recognize people from the Twilight oh, Zone. Oh, non-facial blindness. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. So they talk a little bit and... um. They have dinner, right? Yeah. So the time they have a dinner and it gets really heated. There's this one douchebag there where he's just like, oh, Mr. Driscoll, what are your international views? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And this guy keeps talking about how 
They need to plant the American flag all over the world. Plant it deep, plant, plant it, it high, plant, plant it, it hard. Just like <laughs> really building up this case that they need to plant that flag deep, brother. The only problem with the way that they handled the Indian problem was that they didn't do it faster and more thoroughly because they were like, they're giving them land now. Come on, the absurdity. Yeah, and like before the dinner, uh, Mr. Driscoll is walking around being like, oh, Berlin Wall. Uh, Indochina, none of it happened. This is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, this is his idea of heaven. And yeah. now, this dinner is like his first confrontation with reality, where it's like, oh, there's douchebags back here, too. And then suddenly, Rod Sterling <laughs> <laughs> exactly. types up a storm on his typewriter, and you could just, you could see him talking about how. What graveyards are filled with bodies that this guy creates while he's standing behind it warmongering and yeah. just it just goes on and on and on it's just super uncomfortable awkward dinner type conversation yeah you can basically see mr driscoll looking down and, and he's like no it's rod serling scratch for him and just reading out his political <laughs> views perfectly yeah. yeah and then uh they guys i won't stand for this and then paul's they all stand up and leave and then the lady's like I've had to put up with all these this kind of talk before. Mm-hmm. Whatever, that's great. Well, there was a, I like the moment too where he stands up to leave, and because he's talking like he's hinting about like World War Two and how many bodies. Oh, and you'll be, be dead. Yeah, he goes. You won't live enough to know that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Live long enough to know that I'm right. Yeah. Uh, and then like the guy next to the guy's like, oh, this is a violent fellow. Like he, they take it yeah. as he's gonna murder them. You know. Yeah, exactly. Oof. So the lady follows him out in the street. And just kisses him because that's what they did in 1881. And then it's this big melodramatic scene. She's a and, teacher, by the way. Let's just, that'll yeah, that, come in later. It'll come in later. Uh, but this is exactly the thing. I know I've talked about this before that Serling didn't want is just hour long episodes stretched out with some melodrama nonsense. And mm-hmm. this scene is just nothing but that. Them just being lovey dovey with each other. Yep. Talking this about whether is, or not they belong, you know. And, this is totally like Rod Serling talking about like the ultimate situation for him is like he's at a dinner. And someone mouths off. So he's got this perfect speech that he's written. And then he walks out and then the lady follows him and just wants his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Put that sweet mouth on my mouth. So that happens. And uh, so then he's sitting out uh, and talking to some random guy in the town. He's really he's trying to play the French horn. Yeah. the The concerts that night. Yeah, there's a big 4th of July concert with some school kids. You can hear school kids, you know, singing in the background the entire time. And uh, he's talking about like, boy, that teacher is hot and single. What are you going to do She's about that? She's single and ready to mingle. Single, Which that's a phrase I didn't know was going on <laughs> in the 1960s either. And then the, that guy that he was talking to has the good line where he says, all my school marms look like they came out of a pickle jar. <laughs> I mean, it was like, do they have pickle jars in 1881? Or did they were they in cans or barrels? What was the, the vessel? Thinking but, too much. I'm so anyways, way too much. So he, th- he, go- he starts thinking... Oh, July third, July third, racking his brain like, where have I heard about July third in Holmesville, Indiana? Because they start talking about the, the schoolhouse, and he's like, yeah, because he says like, oh, that schoolhouse will be around forever. Yeah, the guy's talking there, and he's like, wait a minute, why is school that schoolhouse? House. And then he remembers, oh yeah, it gets burned down because an errant lantern knocks it over. He like finds the note in his book. Mm-hmm. So is that the book that he showed the other guy with the picture in it? Or he yeah. A, okay. It would be weird if there was a book that is that he could have bought there that <laughs> predicted the future. The sports almanac. Uh, this episode's already a mess. It doesn't matter. Okay, so he's like, "Oh, I gotta stop this, you know." But I can't. I, I must intervene, but I shan't. Now it's a force of will. Yeah. Yeah, and then he sees a guy selling like snake oil medicine, and the guy starts his pitch by, you know, "Eff it! I'm just gonna put a lantern on my carriage for no reason. It's daylight." There is a fun. I. Think they're going for this uh, Twilight Zone reference with the snake oil salesman 
where he looks at Mr. Driscoll at a certain point. And he says, this is what you need, sir. Oh. Call back to you, what you need. You think so? I Maybe. I mean, both written by Sterling, I think. It's a, interesting. I would but imagine. It's certainly less clunky than this is an item that you might be willing to exchange <laughs> money for. True. That's true. So he, he tells the guy, you need to unhitch your horse. Unhitch your horses. And the guy's like, do you want to buy this <laughs> medical cure? And he's like, you need to do it. And then Paul runs over to the horses and he's just like, unhitching the horses and the guy like is taking his time walking up to the horses but eventually the guy jumps on his carriage and just like swats at paul and causing the horses to rear and they zoom around the corner the lantern flies onto the step in immediate flames the step filled with oily rags in front of the school <laughs> exactly. for some reason yeah holy moly because in that accident the school got destroyed and like 18 kids got hurt badly so he, he prevents it. it. He, he caused it by, yeah, it's the old paradox or whatever, you know, by knowing about it. He he did it. It was him the whole time. It was him. It was also him time. that didn't shoot Hitler that whole time. Exactly. At that moment, he kind of realizes that he can't stay there. He passes the past. He's just going to cause things to happen. So basically, yeah, he realizes like the past is, he calls it like a sacred thing. Mm-hmm. Like we can't mess with it. Once it's done, we need to move on. Right. It's kind of like walking distance. It's exactly like walking <laughs> distance. Yeah, it's I, kind of exactly like that. Also, this episode is reminds me a lot of Last Stop at Willoughby, where the guy sees the old timey town and wants to oh, go back there. It's probably the same exact set. They probably that guy with the French horn was probably still there. <laughs> they're like, yeah, all right. And then it's also which is the uh, the Buster Keaton one? Is it Once Upon a Time? Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, something like that. But it's also that thing of that guy wanting to live back in the mm-hmm. 1800s. You know. Yep. So anyway, he through some mysterious mechanism goes back to the present day and i think doesn't he just say out of hell with it isn't that oh, ultimately no. what he tells oh no friend? he's got he's got quite a speech yeah well you're all poo poo exactly no he's going for it and he says like you know we can't live for tomorrow or we, we got to live for tomorrow there we can't go. live in the past yada mm-hmm. yada yada and then the closing line is he just goes god let there be tomorrows yep you know, Sterling really wanted that to just be the gut punch of the century. Everyone would be talking yep. to each other about this line, you know. I bet and his no office did. was just, there's a pile in the corner of just broken typewriters. He would finish the line and pick it up with both arms and throw it like Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Done! Yeah, yeah. All right. So it's, at the end, I was just numb to this episode just because it got so boring in the Wild West town. Not in Wild West, I don't know what you call it. The old-timey town. yeah. And it's like, for an episode that starts out so fun, just jumping around time, trying to stop horrible things from mm-hmm. happening. Well, it's yeah. almost, it's got to be difficult to keep pacing like in a, a steady clip when you you start off with all these amazing things, right? And then purposely going to a place where nothing happens. <laughs> that's like the whole reason he goes there is because it's like this super boring place. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. Please. This aired March of 1963. Is that right. around JFK assassination or months before that? Okay. So why I, I, I you know it's interesting because now when we think about going back in time yeah. and intervening, yeah, that's a pretty. I would say that's like a top ten. Like Hitler is obviously way up there, but I'd say preventing JFK assassination, Abraham Lincoln, those are probably we've already seen the Lincoln in the top yeah. ten, right? So it's just interesting. They didn't even know that just within a few months something was going to happen in that time period that future time travelers would drool over. It's true. Is there another one in the 20th century that you would gun for? Gun for preventing? Yeah. 
that old like September 11th thing. Maybe if there's a way to. <laughs> that's not stop the 20th that. century. Come on. What? It's not the 20th century. Oh God, you're right. <laughs> How awful. You gotta let that 21st one slide. century. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. A two-year technicality. <laughs> Damn you. Um, let's see here. Y2K. God, if only somebody <laughs> if someone could have stopped them. If you just came back and started screaming at yourself, get rid of your computers. Don't stockpile stuff. <laughs> You're going to get so tired of chili. God, I remember my dad really freaking me out around Y2K. Really? Because we have we had like this little basement mm-hmm. and it was just filled with like mason jars with old food in it. And he's like, he's like, you know, a lot of people think some bad things are going to happen. Because I was, keep in mind, I was 13. Wow. I guess at the time. Uh, so he's like, a lot of people think some bad things are going to happen uh, and that we're going to have to stand at the end of our uh, driveway with shotguns shooting our neighbors who are trying to get our food. Hmm. But I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But some people think that, just so you know. And like, just the idea, like, dad can tell 13-year-old son that. It's like, that'll really mess with your mind. You should have smashed all the food and just said, dad, I'm going to tell there's nothing worth... Getting shot over here. We're safe. They don't want our go. asparagus from 15 years ago anymore. School marm looking pickles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Speaking that's of that. I, I give this one a five. I gave it a six. Okay. Yeah. Was it just that beginning half that really bumped it up? or? I don't consider six bumping up really. <laughs> but yeah, it was a pretty mediocre episode. I yeah. like the time machine. That looked pretty neat. It wasn't a helmet. <laughs> And I wish I knew how... Was his friend just like staring in an oscilloscope waiting to, for like the pattern to show up for to pull him back? I would like to have known how it worked. Yeah, that would actually be more interesting. Something... Va- I mean, obviously they can't tell us exactly how time travel works because it doesn't... It's not real, right? Yeah. Have we established that? Is it real? No, it's totally it's not real. real. Okay. So, you know, they can't go into the minutia of all that stuff, but maybe a little bit like, okay... When you're ready to come back, here's this button on your necklace. Push it three times. Right. So that would have been helpful. I should have written. I should go back in time. Oh. And I would like massage the final draft of every. I would draw a big X through every one of Rod Serling's speeches. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was thinking about why they couldn't keep it just him traveling through time trying to stop these horrible things. Because like mm-hmm. that seems fun enough to sustain for an entire hour. And it's like, well maybe budgetary reasons, but like they're just seeing like one room in each place. It's not a crazy production. It's like exactly. you find a Japanese guy, put him in a room. It's like, oh, there's the head of the Japanese army. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't seem that tough, but you know, it's just that drive for Sterling's a writer. He's got to have his story arc and it's tough to build one within that. I saw at least two of those old timey bicycles being ridden simultaneously too. What? And that, when they showed uh, that town for the first time. You oh, okay. St- yeah. Those awful penny farthings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh so you guys want a six huh yeah all right uh Man? Eh, what are you gonna do all right next one is an episode called the parallel mm-hmm. also could mean anything could be about parking could be about lines could be about a pair of l's mm-hmm. really anything uh <laughs> we could go on but <laughs> this one also written by serling two back to back in four seasons which is relatively rare yeah i would imagine um, <laughs> who's to say all right so the parallel so this one starts out with a, a family i think it starts out with the wife and the kid and, and the dad is he oh there no too? he's not there never mind he's Whoops. not there so they're just talking about uh their husband and father being an astronaut and he's going off to do this great adventure to orbit the earth 
Mm-hmm. We then show the father strapped in a chair, which it's a is PVC tubing. It looks like. Yeah, it's like a chair just tipped over on a floor in the middle of a living room. <laughs> like, I guess that's the. It's another really crappy astronaut chair in the long line of many crappy yeah. astronaut chairs. Well, this one, I would have preferred the little butt foam to this, <laughs> to this dumb thing. So it's just a tipped over office chair in an office in a giant dark room. We're like, eh, spaceship. Yeah, yeah. They make it clear that yeah, he's gonna he's gonna orbit the Earth for a lot of testing, and he makes a point to ask the guy like, hey, do you call my wife to make sure she knows I'm okay? Yada yada yada. The guy's like, yep, no problem. You're going up there, buddy. <laughs> so Rocket takes off. The family's watching on TV. And actually, there's a moment where like they're counting down from 10 to launch him, launch him into space. And the wife like can't take it. When he gets to one, she like shuts it off because she's too scared. So that was a, probably the sweetest moment of the episode. So yeah. goes on. Uh, he gets into outer space. He's communicating with station control, which is just like some wood paneling in a room. Just like some people, some lousy knobs. It really didn't look great. Uh, He gets up there and then there is a flash of white light and he kind of like closes his eyes. uh, And it's probably the commercial stinger. He then comes back and he comes to, I should say, and he is in a hospital bed. People in silhouette are asking how he's doing, kind of hovering over him. And then the doctor says, hey, open the blinds. And they're all totally normal people. It's like, oh, okay, that, there goes that. Everything's just fine. It's everybody he knew before. Uh, and it's like, yeah, just his fellow commanders and whatnot, uh, the military folk. And so mm-hmm. they're talking about what happened. And they said that it's been a, a while, but that they found his rocket. Should we call it a spaceship? What the hell do you call that? His call capsule? It a space-faring vessel. There we go. All right. His whole thing was landed perfectly and mm-hmm. there was not a dent on this thing and they yep. found it like just not too far away from the launch site it's like just a few dozen miles yeah so they're wondering like how did you navigate that so mm-hmm. well uh because we had no communication with you and he's like i didn't i blacked out completely i don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, and they're like okay well i don't know about that so then <laughs> so they then uh drive him home and he well at this point they say like all right, for the time being, this is classified. Cause yeah, we're going to put a statement out there, say that, like, yep, he's back home, everything's fine. Yep. No more questions, please, because they can't explain it. Exactly. Which really had me thinking, like, that'd be the weirdest thing if NASA did that at some point. Like, send people mm-hmm. to the space shuttle or to the, you know, International Space Station, and they're, like, suddenly just super quiet about everything. Like, all social media, everything just stops. Except, like, they make it clear, like, Everything's fine. Like, they arrived back on Earth. That would be the weirdest thing because no one even knows about what's going on at that station anymore. So if they sent any kind of broadcast, like, yeah, everything is totally cool <laughs> on the ISS. Do not worry. You're like, what? That, they still do that? I thought that we blew did- up when they filmed Gravity. I didn't. <laughs> we just sent people up there to find out what's really going on. Uh, so anyways, he gets home to his wife and kids. And it's funny because he's getting home from being in outer space in theory. And he cannot stop thinking about this fence. Because there's a fence on the way up to his house. And he's like, when did you get this fence installed? Mm-hmm. His wife's like, oh, we've had that for a long time. Now come yep. here and greet your family. It's a pretty... <laughs> yeah, stop subtle, talking about this fence. Yeah, it's a pretty subdued greeting for his family. Yeah. Uh, and so then he's talking to his wife. And things seem totally fine. Yeah, and he goes upstairs. And he looks in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And the camera has a very dramatic zoom in on his pin 
on his coat. Yep. Like we're supposed to know what that means. Am I an idiot for not knowing what that meant? He's a colonel. Yeah. So now he's a colonel where he was just like a major before. Right. Uh, did you know what that insignia meant? Did you know like, oh, that automatically means colonel? I was pretty sure it was colonel. Oh, and wow. then I was glad to have that confirmed. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty impressive. Even though I don't know how to pronounce the lesser surnier. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, then uh, he like calls on to his wife. He's like, oh, funny thing happened. I took some other guy's shirt. What do you, what do you think of this? <laughs> uh, so his wife comes up and then like everything's fine again. And then he kisses his wife. Well, he looks in the mirror. He looks at a, a photo of himself that he has on his dresser. I've got a big, a huge photo of myself. Your desk my is lined with photos yeah, of yourself. Yeah, and then it zooms in on that. And he's also got the the bird. Yeah, the, the colonel insignia. Uh, Bing! The, the Mockingjay, I think it is. Yes. Uh, so then, yeah, he kisses his wife. She really kisses him. Yeah. Uh, and then she just looks horrified, and the music turns dark and spooky. Uh, he's totally fine with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't really see too many things as being wrong, uh, but his wife is horrified by the kiss, but doesn't really want to go into it. Uh, and then he's spending time with his daughter, and uh, daughter's like, oh, I'll get you some coffee. And he's like, oh, uh, no sugar for me, please. And she's like, what? And she's super <laughs> confused. And like, as the story progresses, his daughter begins to suspect that something's up. Like, it, Everyone is still the normal selves, but the daughter in particular starts to sense that this isn't really her father, that something yes. is different here, but no one can put their finger on it. Mm-hmm. And that the daughter is the only one courageous enough to speak her mind. Whereas the wife seems to be going along with it. Cause like logically it's like, well, everything seems okay. He is a Colonel now. Yeah. His memory is a little bit weird, I guess. Cause he claims he was something else, but it's no big whoop. Uh, so then what is he going for? Like some testing? Yeah. Just another set of tests, you know, day two, yeah, so it goes on, and there's a fun scene where he's like slowly realizing more and more that just little things are off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at a certain point, he takes out an encyclopedia, and he's going through that entire thing, and he realizes that it's just things here and there. Not like all of history is different, but just very subtle things are different. And he's trying to explain to the other people in the military and to his family like what's different about this world compared to the one he took off from. Right. And they just think that something's wrong that you know there's this whole new field of space medicine and maybe they just don't understand the <laughs> how space messes with your memory yada 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 uh and then uh they at some point make mention of the fact that he keeps talking about some president kennedy who who is this yeah, president kennedy exactly probably i like the idea that a different president led to him getting a fence maybe mm-hmm. like America was just a little bit less safe with this new president in charge instead of Kennedy, mm-hmm. who they never name. I wish they named the new president. Yeah. Uh, and then he had to build a fence to keep uh, stray dogs out. Or the giant spiders, or, yeah. which you they, never yeah, see. Yeah, they don't mention those in this episode. Very strange. Uh, so then the episode goes on, and they show like the space shuttle orbit capsule guy, designer, mm-hmm. really studying the spacecraft that they found him in. Uh, and he's like, this is basically the one i built but like <laughs> certain things are like screws are a little bit weird yeah everything you like every individual component is just off enough and when you add it up all together it's like this is not the ship that i built <laughs> so they invite that guy to come there and check it out mm-hmm. uh and he's looking it over and then he starts to hear radio chatter and he's mm-hmm. like don't you guys hear that and they're like we don't know what you're talking about we don't know what you're talking about and he's like right. oh, radio chatter it's here it's here and then he's suddenly back in space hearing the radio chatter mm-hmm. from the beginning of the episode. Uh, and he asked them who the president is. 
and like central control is super confused about why he would ask such a weird thing uh and he keeps asking like who is the president who is the president and then the radio goes into static and he doesn't hear he lands the spacecraft uh he finds out because he wakes up in the hospital bed after landing the spacecraft uh that president kennedy is around so this is his world and then he goes on to explain like hey I must have found a doorway up there or something mm-hmm. because I went to a different earth and everything was so similar, but just a couple things were different and he explains it and they kind of call him nuts. Yep. They like the commanders walk out of the room. They're like, let's not tell anybody about this. Like, this is a little bit strange. Mitty explains that like he was a colonel in this other world. It really just Jones and for a promotion. <laughs> I think is what's going on. I did a really great job at it. Everyone <laughs> thought I was the best colonel they've ever heard of. It looked handsome. <laughs> uh, so I had a really awesome fence. <laughs> I'm just saying, it looked great. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember. I wrote down exactly what the time difference is because it's kind of funky. Because they say that they lost contact with him for six hours. Like mm-hmm. as he was orbiting the Earth, they couldn't get in touch with him over the radios for six hours. Right. But he explains that he was in the other world for a week and a half. Hmm. Which is a weird discrepancy. I don't know why they wouldn't make it one-to-one because it didn't feel like he was there for a week and a half. It's, it was pretty yeah. quick. As it uh, turns out, he was dead all the all the whole time. The whole the time. The whole time. Also, I couldn't figure out why the spaceship in the other world uh, like landed perfectly. It's cause yeah, I don't know. He would have still had to land it. So anyways, uh, eventually... They reveal that they were in contact with the other colonel, mm-hmm. the other version of himself that's a colonel, uh, for a minute and a half. Yeah, like in their in their central command, they made contact with this guy for a minute and a half. But you know, and the commander's like, "Oh, we need a transcription of that whole process." But like, there's our evidence that this guy is telling the truth that there is this other world. They didn't bring up the idea of there being more than two. They just make it like, "There's only two Earths, and I went to the other one, and this guy came here." Well, he didn't go there. Yeah. He just was in touch with them for a little bit. There's a lot of super vague things about this episode mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't know if there is a strong logic. I don't think that there is. It's just a, you know, ambiguous thing of a time difference. And then they were in touch with the other version of the yeah. kernel for a little bit. Like when the sky was open, I think was so great just because yeah. everything was so vague. And but, they it, didn't, but it lined up. It lined up. And this one is almost to the point of over-explaining so that you want more details to completely fill in the picture. You know what I mean? Like, Well, there are more specifics in this one where you're trying to do the math on the time and stuff. That's what really... Yeah, I think that it like there's too much to work with to keep it from being like a really awesome mystery, but not enough to be to have any kind of conclusive explanation for what exactly happened. It just didn't feel really satisfying for those reasons. Yeah, I guess I can see that. I'm with you. Like when this episode started and he went to that other place, I was really excited because I'm like, yeah. oh, it's going to be like when this guy was open. Like, right. Clearly they're mirroring back to that season one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it didn't really end up being clearly as strong just because that episode's so amazing. But I did love just how restrained and subtle this episode was. Like when he saw that fence, I was fully expecting him to go up to his other family and be like, oh, it's me. It's me, Robert Gaines. And then being like, I don't know who you are. And then have like the, it's a wonderful life thing yeah. for the, 30th time on the twilight zone but like i love that it was just tiny differences mm-hmm. he even explains it one time he's like it's just barely perceptible things but they add up and it's weird like my wife is suddenly the best kisser ever <laughs> but she recoils at my touch 
She doesn't like when I use a, my snake-like tongue to <laughs> dart in and out of her mouth when making out. That was always her thing. I don't know yeah. what the thing. I don't know why she's Jeez. so disgusted by me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I like just how restrained it was throughout the entire thing. There were no big dramatic moments of him running around me like, oh, what's wrong with this world? It's like, he's very logical about the whole thing, going through the encyclopedia page by page. Mm-hmm. Also, like, it's impressive that they're exploring parallel, you know, dimension fiction at this point. I guess I, I would like to know how popular parallel dimensions were in sci-fi. Because it, it seems like a fairly recent thing to me. I suspect that we don't know what we're talking about. Because <laughs> I don't think, I, I, I personally don't read any sci-fi, so I can't say. Yeah, yeah. I like this episode, though. It definitely, I, it's my favorite of the bunch, not to spoil anything. Sorry, I dream of Jeannie. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's like, it, maybe it's just because it harkens back so much to when this guy was opened. I connected a lot of love to it. Yeah. But it was just like a, a cool little mystery. And also I was expecting the big dumb Twilight Zone twist at the end of him. Like like the episode closes with him with his family, except his wife has blonde hair. And he's like, dun, dun, dun. Like, you notice know, it's yeah. like something different, but like, nope. It's like, it seems like it's totally his world again. Yep. Uh, and Rod Serling says, why don't you prove that this does, didn't happen? Maybe the Isn't onus th- is on you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gave it a six. All right. It seems low. Yeah. This one just felt overlong. Okay. Sorry. I'm sensing a, a theme going on here. Yeah. All right. Uh, I gave this one a seven. Huh. Now, on the other hand, comic masterpiece, I Dream of Genie. So here we go. We start off in a curio shop opens on a mannequin i might point out pans past a mannequin the pans pans mannequin okay which is interesting because who is the salesman it is the worst part of after hours he's back the super hammy uh shop director yeah who's also the guy from the the tv crew on uh uh, Mr. Oh, Dingle the Strong. That's right. That's right. I so thought he came back. This yeah, is his is third it. and final appearance. Hopefully. It's that, that really goof, goofy guy. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, they're uh, getting ready to sell some stuff. You know, they're unloading a box of things from Iraq. Uh, one of them gets a couple of, the one guy says, calls them plaster vases. And the guy's like, ah, salesmanship. You know, you got to really talk them up if you expect people to buy them. Then he pulls from the box an oil lamp. It looks like junk. And he's like, well, the thing is, you just got to convince someone that they need it. Some poor sap, you know, some idiot, essentially. Enter George Hanley, who walks in, doesn't know what he wants. And he's like, oh, here you go. And he's like, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, there's this lady at work and it's her birthday. And kind of, and he's like, are you, you know, something kind of sexy? You know, he's like alluding to this dress or something like that. He's, ah, we're not like the, we're not on that level yet. He's like, oh, here you go. Oil lamp. So, perfect. Perfect gift. And this is a character that Rod Serling describes oh. as uh, like normal and that waiters serve his soups cold. <laughs> Elevators <laughs> close in his face. Yeah. That's exactly it. So he's pressure, <laughs> the high pressure sales tactics <laughs> work. He buys the oil lamp and he goes to work. To uh, He works at Twilight Zone office, mm-hmm. which is a pretty great place. A lot of memorable moments have happened Mr. there. Mr. Beavis lives right next door. Miniature. Even miniature, yeah. <laughs> Recent times. So everyone is coming back from lunch, and it's Anne, this vixen, the only lady who works there. It's her oh, birthday. man. She is a star of this show. Yes, she is. You remember her, too. No, I don't. Oh, my gosh. She was in um, 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 The Chaser. 
Do you look these up every time, or you just genuinely remember these? I faces? remember her very specifically. She's she, she's the girl that the guy tried forced her to. You know, the entire point of the chaser, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had a very distinct voice. Okay, sure, so, sure, I can see that. Anyway, um, it's her birthday, and everyone's crowding around. There's this really like particularly obnoxious guy that that works with uh, George. And he's talking about, he's never going to get the chili con carne again from this diner. It's the worst. And he just won't shut up about it. But whatever. All eyes are on Anne. They, and he gives her the present. And it's uh, some sexy little negligee thing. And she loves it. She's just really hamming it up, getting everybody's attention. And they all just love her. And then she kisses him on the mouth. Yeah. Meanwhile, George is just sitting at his desk fuming. Um, that oil lamp is at... Just sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> you can't see it, but we know it's there, right? So the boss comes and is like, hey, everybody, we're going to go to the tiki room and celebrate. Let's go. So they because all get ready like to this, leave. Like they talk about promotions at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. There's rumors of promotions going around and all this right. stuff. Things are looking good at the company. Right. So, and George is like, bah, he just goes home instead to heck with it. Where he has a loving dog. And Boy, does he. two fish that he feeds and makes kissy faces at, which That's is right. weird. And now a lamp. So the bo- the dog barks at the box because the box vibrates on its own. George doesn't notice it because maybe he's too busy eyeing the fish. I don't know. Sure. He finally is like, okay, whatever. Grabs the, the lamp, looks at it, and is like, hey, this lamp is dirty. Rubs it a few times. Oh, every good classic, story starts. Oh, my goodness. Puff of smoke and like, some little uh, sparkler effects. The genie's there. Larry Miller. Larry Miller. It's just a guy in a suit yeah. smoking a cigar. George is like, you're not what I was expecting. And he's like, hey, we changed with the times. I don't wear that crazy turban and vest and stuff. Still have to wear the, what does he call them? The velveteen mucklucks. The pointy genie shoes. But it's like, all right, you know the drill. You get one wish. And George is like, what are I, you're supposed to get three wishes. And he gets uh-huh. like, yeah, people were always screwing it up. So now we just do one. They were just getting too greedy. So you get one wish, but I want you to sleep on it. So George is like, okay. And they kind of goes over the options. They talk about it a little bit. Uh, people usually want um, all the money, but that I just like causes that, that problems. His strategy was like, what do most people want? Like, yep. That was his first question for the genie. Yeah. yeah. And the genie's like, well, a lot of people want money, but that just causes problems because like phony like uh, charities and relatives and all these things. You just get a bunch of hassles. It's not worth it. And a lot then, of people want to be Hitler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> George is like, well, what about love? And the genie is just like, if you want love, go find it. I, he, I'm a genie. So, Yuck. I like that the genie's so horrified by that question. He's like disgusted. Yeah. yeah. Like, he must get that every time. Is that really like such an outlandish request? Yeah. Yeah. I would think that it'd I'm be... I'm not a potion. <laughs> Come on. I'm a genie. But really, what do you think are the most popular genie requests? It would be money and then sex, right? That have to be Oh, uh, then the, like the super genius. Um, and I said, more wishes. And he's like, uh, nope. Gee, that's a technicality. You can't do that. <laughs> so anyway, George takes the genie's advice and thinks, hmm, what would it be like if I was married to Anne, the office sex pot, but she wasn't Anne. She was a America's sweetheart, a star of stage and screen. So we get to see what that's like. And long story short, it sucks. She's on set. 
They wrap this movie she's in. He keeps trying to kiss her, but he's she pulls away, saying it's going to mess up her makeup. Constantly complaining about the director, yelling at her. Yeah, it's just a miserable experience. And then they get back to the house. They still haven't had their honeymoon yet. She seems like she's kind of into him. A little, yeah. They seem, but she doesn't want to be touched at all. Yeah, and like <laughs> the rest of the Hollywood world is super weird. Like they're at a party, and he like meets some other girl underneath a piano. And then she discovers that she's married to that he's married to Anne, and she's like, "Wow, I thought you were a producer. What are you wasting funny, my yeah, time she for?" She has like an accent up to that point where yeah. she's trying to be all mysterious, and she finds out that like he's not a producer, and she's like, "All right, forget this." But she had a good line when uh, she was found under the piano. He's like, "What are you doing down here?" She's like, "Oh, the rest of the party just hasn't gotten down here yet." Yep, I like that part. So anyway, Hollywood sucks, and and then like Anne's kissing some other schmuck. Yeah, exactly. We this is an extremely truncated version because it's not very interesting. Really, it's just. <laughs> He keeps trying to kiss her, and she's like, you're going to mess up my hair and makeup, whatever. So he, he wakes up and realizes, well, that's that's no, not great. Oh, before we leave the Hollywood yes. version, uh, you say truncated indeed. Like, this was a long stretch. I mean, this is like a third of the episode, basically. Yeah. Um, but, We're doing you a favor, yeah, dear indeed. listener. Uh, but uh, it starts out, and, like, there's an agent or, like, a director talking to her. Am I nuts, or was that the Jesse James guy? Or is it just the idea of a beret connected them? But it was like a huge beefy guy right when she went back in time. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they were going for that Jesse James callback, but anyway. Or was it the boss? Because they do use a lot of the same characters, like except for his dog is a different dog each time. God, what other episode did that? Remember there's another one that kind of like recycled and everybody was, oh, the dream one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was in a different role. Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. All right, so next he kind of decides, well, what would it be like to have like, Basically unlimited wealth. And this one is even less interesting because it's basically (laughs) he tries to give money to charity and then he's kind of scolded by saying, you know, when you do that, it takes away the fun of giving for people who are less fortunate than you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he has, oh yeah. He says, every time I walk through a park, people ask me when I'm going to subdivide it. Yep. A lot of good one-liners. Genuinely, I really enjoyed some of the jokes in this episode. Yeah. He's talking about how like, Part of the thrill of not having money is comes from anticipation, and that's not there. He says, basically, you're just sitting here writing checks. So having all this this wealth, not great. Super he, boring. He also he walks into his office with uh, dirty, soiled gloves, as he puts it, and he asks like if his secretary is going to clean them for him. She's like, no, actually, people in your tax bracket, we've crunched the numbers. It's easier to just throw them away. We'll yeah. just get you new ones. Yeah, We're not yeah, gonna yeah. Bother cleaning crap. Yeah. The limousine driver though is the. Uh, the, the jerk from the office though yeah, so that's yeah cute so <laughs> then he uh decides at this point um he also gets snaps he's daydreaming in his office and learns that his co-worker got the promotion so he's kind of bummed out about that so in his final like fascinating wish dream sequence he decides what if i had power so he's president of the united states of america and lo and behold that's a lot of Signing things, moving things around. Women coming out of curtains. Yeah, he puts on like a poncho, <laughs> like like Clint Eastwood and a fistful of dollars. And and then suddenly he moves behind the curtain and this lady is saying, I just had to wait here all day so I could talk to you. You need my, to pardon my son, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it, essentially he realizes he's powerless. And then, oh, there's a UFO invasion. And he and, doesn't want to make the call on whether or not to shoot him down because it's like the scientist versus the general, yeah. the classic thing. Like, we need to study them. We need to shoot them. Yeah, what's it going to be? Are you with yeah. us or are you against us? And he's like, ah, I don't want that kind of responsibility. That kind of power is terrible. Right. 
So then he has to make his decision and he tells the genie what, you know, the genie's like, well, you already want to do it. And he's like, okay. So then it cuts to a bum finding the lamp. Did you notice where he was finding it? In Twilight Zone Alley. In Twilight Zone <laughs> Hobo Man's Alley. Shoes. Dead Man's Shoes. And also the end of He's Alive. Yep. That exactly. One little street with very, the stairwell going very up. Very popular spot. Yeah. Uh, and the hobo, of course, rubs it because what else are you going to do? And Hitler comes out. Hitler comes out big time. He's like three times the size of normal Hitler. <laughs> Wearing shoes. Yeah. But it's a genie. He says, hey, you get three wishes. And slow turn. It's George who's taken on the role of a genie. And he's got his dog who's wearing a little genie hat too and he's dressed in appropriate genie clothing he he's living the dream he brought it back to classic genie yeah this is basically the ending of aladdin when jafar wishes to be a genie yes that is the exact tactic this guy took I, so I th- he was very happy with that i think it was kind of like a miniature ending but without any of the poignancy <laughs> well so do you think he freed the other genie i think the other he probably consumed the other genie oh my god yeah it's horrifying maybe there are two genies in there and they're like tag team partners i don't know could be could be uh so yeah that's apparently what he wanted the whole time is just to give other people wishes to be a genie they never really established him as like a giving character throughout the entire thing he's kind of just a nothing character kind of funny at times because it's kind of just a schmuck yeah but that's really it that was it this episode was really boring. Yeah. And like in this abbreviated version that we're giving you, I hope you understand that like we might seem positive and like, oh, the jokes, there were some funny jokes in there, but man, it wasn't a bad episode. It was just long. And it's such a weird concept to take like, first of all, a concept they've already done in mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone with, you know, the genie. Right. Go back to that. Stretch it to an hour long. Mm-hmm. So you have more you have to do in there. But then also at the same time, remove it from three wishes down to one. So it's like they're taking a concept they've already done, Mm -hmm. stretching it out, and simplifying it. Yep. And then it's weird to me that like the entire structure of the episode just comes across as like a standard genie episode without consequences. Yes. Because he's just daydreaming all this crap. He's just dreaming, yeah. So it doesn't mean anything. It's like those easily could have been three wishes and he'd have to work his way through it. But maybe they thought that was too similar to what they've done before. And he could have just had a really unbelievably poor imagination. You know, those things could have all worked out spectacularly well in in real life had he actually expended a wish. (laughs) But he just basically recast the people in his life and assumed the worst. Yeah. I guess that's it. And there were funny moments in there, like when he was president, uh, they're talking about like, oh, the, the Boy Scouts of America want time to you, time to talk to you, but you also have to get your haircut. He's like, well, talk to me. You cut my hair at the same time. Yeah, we'll all get haircuts we'll get, together. Yeah, be great. I like that part. Yeah, yeah. So there are funny moments in there, but like an hour for three decent lines is just a rough ratio. It is hard to follow around a character. It's the same thing as at the, uh, the, the time travel episode is like, I don't want to spend time with boring characters. I don't want to go to a place that is boring. <laughs> it's like, if that's like the defining characteristic. In a show it, where you can do absolutely anything. Yeah. Give them superpowers. I mean, that's, I guess what we saw, like him daydreaming and just being a schmuck in all these right. other situations that were pretty boring too. But Yeah. Uh, I, I gave this one a three. Really? I gave yeah. it a five. Okay. I, th- I think that five is 
fair. I think my three is a little bit harsh, but man, like all my notes, I just kept writing again and again. Like I am so bored. This effing <laughs> sucks. I want to stop watching this right now. Uh, that's it, man. We, we, yeah. we, uh, this is already a long episode here. Woof. Well, I think we saved a lot of time with the genie episode. Yeah, we really, yeah. We truncated that one as much as we can, but, uh, we have two more episodes mm-hmm. of the podcast for yes. season four. Then the Franklins. Or does that include the Franklins? No. Well, that's a good... No, I guess it wouldn't. Yeah, so it'd be Franklin. So three more episodes devoted to season four, and mm-hmm. then we're back to the good stuff. Yep. In hope. theory. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or don't. It's cool. We understand. If I had one wish, I would wish that you would, and you'd rate it highly, but what do I know? It could be a nightmarish scenario in reality. What do you think, Ben? Should we end this thing? Oh, good Lord. I realize <laughs> editing these, I, I, I think I fall into this trap a lot too, where it's like I always try and close things out by making a callback to one thing that happened in the block of episodes. And it's just like, we have become a stereotype of ourselves, Quirk. You could do worse. I think that if I had to stereotype us, I think two handsome dudes. There you go. They'd have a podcast. Staying late at work. There you go. That's us. All right. Thanks cool. for tuning in. And uh, we do appreciate it. Try that over there. Ain't no jaguar like a jaguar party because a jaguar party don't stop. Everybody say meow. Ready? Hello, welcome to the. I mean, yeah. All right, ready? Yep. Hello, welcome to a new episode. <laughs> welcome to a new episode. Welcome to new. Okay, here we go. Hello, welcome to the new episode. <laughs> I can't do it. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. Tim, God damn it! <laughs> I was gonna do some really fun stuff, and I totally blew it. All right. Also, I know you only have one. I love it. I love to do it. It's great. What what could you possibly have on such a tiny little note card? I have all kinds of stuff. You'll see. Is it like one of those uh, cheat sheets? That's cool. It's like you get one sheet of paper, so you can fit on there. That's exactly what my mama said. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) God.